0: hanging half a hundred on them at Owen Field, or the run rules on the Diamond at Love's Field. We're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees.
1: You're listening to the Mainline Podcast with Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's go! Let's Go!
0: Go! Go! go
1: let's go it's the mainline podcast he's tyler burton i'm adam jacquez oklahoma survives on the wasatch uh, against byu coming out with a 31 to 24 victory and now we look ahead to a black friday matchup with tcu we don't know who's going to play quarterback we don't really know if ou has an actual shot at the big 12 championship it'll all depend on games that happen after them but tyler welcome in how are you doing
0: I'm good, Adam. It was nice to get back from Provo. Um, I guess we can kind of touch on that to get this episode underway. Um, It was nice to have an opportunity to get out to the state of Utah over the weekend. First time I've ever actually been uh, to the state of Utah. We obviously, we flew into Salt Lake City on Thursday night, stayed overnight, spent most of the day on Friday up in Park City, had a chance to kind of do some of the touristy things, go through some of the shops, check out some of the cool places to eat and uh, all the different shopping experiences around there. Really cool town. A lot of Oklahoma fans uh, clearly made the trip up to utah we saw them all over the place throughout this trip and then we made our way back down to provo on uh, on friday afternoon found a really good place to eat um actually adam i, I uh we were able to uh, again this is the second trip that we've actually been able to do this to actually find our way onto the field the day before the game uh like it was in cincinnati and we were actually walking on the field up in provo and much like was talked about on the radio broadcast, on the TV, telecast, I mean, the, the, make no mistake about it, the field was absolutely trash. We knew that going into the weekend that that was going to be some cause for concern for both teams having to deal with it, but especially for Oklahoma fans not knowing what type of equipment uh, needed to be used. It was not a good combination at all with the weather. Obviously, it kind of rained on us off and on uh, throughout the entire game. Um, so yeah, it was uh, the, the, the field was horrific, but... On a positive note, the stadium was absolutely beautiful. One of the best backdrops I've ever seen uh, for, for a sporting event. I've been to the Rose Bowl. I've been to a handful of other different uh, places where the experience is that good. But it kind of felt like BYU was on its it was it was kind of on a stage of its own where you, it was sitting right there at the base of the mountains. Uh, you had the backdrop as beautiful and scenic as it was. I kind of felt like um, through most of the game on Saturday, I kind of got lost watching the, the scenery going on around the game itself and then having to force myself to focus back in. But all in all, Adam, it was a fantastic trip to Provo. I wish it wasn't the only time that we were going to be doing this, ultimately with the Big 12, uh, our time in the Big 12 coming to an end. I thought that the fans were absolutely incredible out there in Provo, uh, one of the nicest fan bases. You know, we do a lot of traveling with this team, Adam, you know, through the course of uh, of our lifetime, especially over the last four or five years. Uh, we've been to Nebraska. You know, we've, we, we've been to College Station. You know, we've, we've you know been to Knoxville, things like that. Uh, I thought that the BYU fan base was extremely welcoming, um, was super excited that Oklahoma fans were in town. And um, like I said, just all around a really good trip. And it was nice to get home. Obviously, we've got one more big one left uh, here as we round out the uh, regular season in the Big 12 Conference against the Horned Frogs
1: my only complaint is that the free ice cream for the visitors didn't make it over to my section. So uh, I was, uh, I was kind of on the very tail end of the OU sections there <laughs> and, uh, missed out on the, on the fun there, but I agree. It was, it was a great time. The fans were, were fantastic. And you know, it's kind of funny because it's a 10 AM kickoff. There's mm-hmm. no alcohol anywhere, not in the, the tailgating parking lots, not in the stadium, very family friendly environment, tons of kids there. Uh, it was, it was early, There was really no reason for BYU to be excited, to be there to cheer for a team that maybe won't even make a bowl game. Um, The stadium wasn't even completely full. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, you had the nicest fan base there, but it was still incredibly loud. It was extremely loud throughout the game at many different points. And I say that to say that, well, you know, OU fans make a lot of complaints about their home field in Norman, how it's not loud enough. I think there's been some good moments this year. Still needs to be louder. Still needs to be one of the loudest places in college football. But, you know, if BYU can do that, (laughs) and I know we turn and we say, oh, people should be, you know, Mm -hmm. having all day to tailgate. Well, you know, BYU kind of disproved that. It's really just a will and people getting up on their feet and making some noise. You don't need all these special other factors. You don't need a night game. You don't need anything. You just have to want to do it, really. Um, And so... I don't know. That's I'm. I i do not want to jab OU fans, but I also want to say like, no, hey, let's, let's step up to the plate and let's knock it out of the park. Um, no, I,
0: I I think you're completely right, and this is something that we've talked about time and time again. You know, especially with Oklahoma going on the road every single time that the Crimson and Cream walked into an opposing team stadium, that's their Super Bowl of the year. Um, and so you, I mean, you've got to give BYU fans a lot of credit. I thought that the energy level was fantastic, the passion, the excitement for Oklahoma fans. You know, coming to that game, and we talked about it on the episode last week, Adam. This was a game, this was going to be an environment Oklahoma walks into where the fan base knew that their team probably didn't have much of a chance. It was going to be a pretty lopsided affair, but Oklahoma didn't do themselves any favors, you know, within the first quarter of this game to really kind of jump on them early, put this game out of reach, kind of set the tone from the opening kickoff. And, you know, that's a really bad combination when you're a road favorite going into a hostile environment where you allow the team to stick around make it a game late into the second half that keeps the crowd engaged into it, that keeps the other team, you know, giving them a sense of belief, like, hey, we're in this game. We can actually pull this thing off. And it was a situation that Oklahoma found themselves in in a 60-minute dogfight. Dylan Gabriel goes down at halftime. You put in a true true freshman to ultimately kind of close things out for Oklahoma. We'll touch on Jackson Arnold here in a second. But um, the crazy part about that to me, Adam, was as loud as that stadium was throughout the game on Saturday morning, more i would say at least half of the student section seats were empty i don't know if kids had already it was surprising it. yeah it was surprising there were a lot of empty seats on saturday but they still overcame a, a uh, what was somewhat of a uh, an empty stadium on the student section side of things and i thought that the, the the road environment was fantastic it was a lot of fun um and i just didn't expect uh come about one thirty on saturday that oklahoma was seriously going to be uh, in trouble i thought that they were going to lose the football game when uh, uh when the when the kicker um kind of shanked that kick when he hooked it to the left I thought Oklahoma was going to lose that game on Saturday I'll be honest with you uh but through some good play on uh, on the defensive side of the football Gavin Sawchuk, another monster game for him and Jack Nardle making a couple really nice plays when it mattered Oklahoma was able to squeak out a 7 point win uh and you know get them to 9 and 2 on the season
1: yeah it I mean, we can talk about the field conditions. It was the same for both teams. Both both teams had to suffer through that. We can talk about uh, OU's performance on the road versus at home. I don't think it really matters that much. There's no Whoa. more true road games uh, for the rest of the year, so uh, I'm not gonna uh, really spend a whole lot of breath on that. I, I think it's it's a game where you look at it and you go, "Well, oh, you didn't shoot themselves in the foot. There weren't um, you know backbreaking penalties. There weren't any turnovers. Um, the defense." continues to be kind of what we've seen through uh, from them throughout the year. I know they kind of got gashed a little bit on the ground, but I think overall, like they've been resilient. They've continued to make plays despite not having the best effort or the best uh, result of, you know, every quarter, every play Mm -hmm. they bounce Mm -hmm. back, they find a way to, to contribute uh, throughout the game. So there's some reliability there. And I think, you know, the overall arc of, of this defense under Brent Venables is, is, you know, in a great shape right now. So I, I don't know. I don't have a ton of thoughts on this. It's just, you survive, you make it into the next week. Um, you don't have Dylan Gabriel potentially going forward. It, it seems unlikely that he will play against TCU, but um, any other thoughts just on the BYU game before we, we move on?
0: Yeah, I've got a couple of thoughts on both sides of the football. We'll start offensively. I mean, obviously I thought that Dylan Gabriel made some nice plays in the first half. I think that he still kind of left a lot of meat on the bone with some of the things. When you go back and you watch the tape, there were some opportunities in this game where he had some receivers open or you know whether it was under, an underthrow that could have resulted in a much bigger play. The the uh, uh, Jaden Gibson play is one that obviously comes to mind, where Jaden did an a extremely good job beating his guy off of the line, getting some separation down the field, and then you know Dylan Gabriel, kind of like what we've seen, you know more than a handful of times this year, a little bit of an underthrow on on the deep ball. That should be an opportunity where uh, you know Jaden Gibson catches that in stride, he walks into the end zone, but. But when you want to throw the football and he's got to come back to it, then you're setting yourself up to where it's a first and goal inside the 10-yard line, and then you've got to line up in a shorter field and go in there and try to punch it in. So just uh, just a few different missed opportunities, but I thought that all in all, Jackson Arnold getting thrown into that situation on the road, tied football game in a hostile environment, really the first true meaningful snaps outside of mop-up duty or when he's asked to carry the ball for one or two yards in, the, uh, in that belldozer package. But I, I thought all in all, even though he did miss a couple of, you know, easy throws, uh, the most notable one was the one to Talwee Walker, where if he completes that on kind of the bootleg screen, Talwee Walker does pick up the first down, you keep the chain, keep the chains moving, you keep the clock rolling. Um, but yeah, I, just a lot of good things for from Jackson Arnold, you know, the mobility with his legs, keeping some plays alive, churning some of those yards, keeping the chains moving. Um, and then you flip over to the defensive side of the football, Adam, I'm curious to kind of get your thoughts on this, and we'll, then we'll put a bow on it. Uh, linebacker fits were absolutely awful going back and rewatching this game. Brent Venables talked about it in the, in the uh, post game press conference. But then also when he met with the media uh, earlier yesterday, he talked about how he didn't think the defensive line did as bad of a job as what maybe some of the, the media, some of the fans actually thought they did. Um, I kind of feel a little bit differently um, just not to, you know, disagree with him too much, but I didn't think that Oklahoma's front seven played particularly well at all. I know that the uh, linebacker position, whether it was Stutzman, Canik, Lewis, McKenzie, I thought that for most of the games uh, on Saturday, they kind of got lost in run fits. They, you know, BYU did a lot of trickery, a lot of different formations, a lot of pre-snap motioning uh, to kind of really play with you, uh, de- play with your eyes defensively. And I just think that that was something that the linebacker position, while they did make a fair share of their plays, that was still something that kind of plagued them all game long, and it really kind of allowed BYU to keep themselves in that football game. But as much as you want to downplay. And you know, kind of criticize the play of the defense. They still forced three turnovers on Saturday. Danny Stutzman dealing with the flu. We didn't think he was going to play at all. He has the strip sack fumble uh, that ultimately gives the ball back to Oklahoma. The Billy Bowman 100-yard pick six, forcing three turnovers, leading to a 14 nothing. Uh, differential in points off of turnovers that's what allowed Oklahoma to win that football game on Saturday if they weren't opportunistic if they weren't able to create some of those turnovers then BYU's probably winning by double digits on Saturday and then we're having an entirely different conversation on tonight's episode uh, as we go into the final week of the season but we I mean we can touch on special teams if you want it continues to be a problem why Oklahoma why the University of Oklahoma, one of the most historic, prestigious programs in the history of college football, why we do not have a competent kicker that can go out and kick a 28-yard field goal consistently, I don't know. We know that the, the injury bug has kind of bitten a couple of those guys in that room, but I don't know if you need to go raid the girls' soccer team. I don't know if you need to hold tryouts from some of the uh, fraternity uh, houses on campus, but you cannot tell me that there's not another body in Norman, Oklahoma, between the ages of 17 and 22 with ncaa eligibility that can't go out there and consistently make kicks on saturday
1: yeah it's kind of wild it it is what it is at this point um i don't know i thought we would have seen a a strategy change after texas or any of the other games where he's missed them um but just hasn't happened yet and that was under 30 yards that's just that's crazy like if you're missing 40 yarders i understand yeah under 30 yards is is, you got to be automatic And
0: Adam, I know that the defense gave up 217 rushing yards. That was more than double BYU's season average. But, I mean, let's not forget uh, outside of the 75 yard touchdown drive in the second half, BYU's drive chart in the second half was punt, punt, pick six, fumble, punt. So, again, they were able to go into the half uh, and make some uh, adjustments defensively. They were able to come back out and really kind of put the screws uh, to, to BYU's offense on Saturday. And it was just kind of a. It was, a, it was a situation on Saturday in the second half for Oklahoma. They, did, they weren't able to execute efficiently on both sides of the football for for the most of it, but they were able to kind of find, you know, a little bit of complimentary football and key stretches in the fourth quarter where uh, they, they made enough plays when it mattered most to, to get the job done and get out of Provo with a win.
1: Yeah. Tyler, you know, looking ahead to the TCU game, uh, Crimson Captain, uh, Matt over there on crimsoncaptain.com, kind mm-hmm. of, he wrote an article the other day about you know some of the guys that might be looking at leaving early to the NFL, and it kind of got me thinking about that a little bit. And I'm wondering who might be you know their final game in an OU uniform on Owen Field this Friday. Uh, you know I think Danny Stutzman and Billy Bowman really stand out as the two names that are probably the most kind of on that ledge, but there could be some mm-hmm. other guys as well. I think Tyler Guyton. I think we're we're starting to come to terms with that. He's probably gone. He's got a first round grade pretty much everywhere you look. It's kind of crazy. I wish we could get some first round production out of him before he leaves Mm -hmm. town because I don't think we've truly gotten that. But outside of those three guys, who who else is top of mind for you here that could be playing their last game? Well, I mean, obviously, the
0: first one that comes to mind is Woody Washington. Um, When you talk about what this guy's been able to do, you know, he's been one, he's essentially been the best lockdown corner that Oklahoma's had since maybe what? Trey Brown, Eric Colvin. Zach Sanchez, if you want to go back that far, so it's gonna be it's gonna be hard watching Woody, uh, you know, kind of walk off the field for the last time, and then the big one for me, and I know that there is there there might even be some uh, uh, some sad eyes in in the crowd on on Saturday once they do go through you know kind of the pregame senior day festivities, and that's Drake Stoops when
1: when but he's gone be... he's gone regardless. I'm talking about like guys that could go early. Well, if you're
0: gonna talk about guys that could go early, then yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's Danny Stutzman, it's Billy Bowman. Those are those are the two bell cows that if you're Brent Venables, if you're OU's NIO collective, if you're affiliated with o- the OU administration in any way whatsoever, that's going to be your biggest – that's going to be one of your biggest uh, responsibilities and in, uh, in jobs this upcoming offseason is figuring out a way, whether it's through the NIO collective, make sure that these guys are getting paid, you figure out a way to get Billy Bowman and Danny Stetson to come back because those are – I mean, those are, those are the two best players on defense. I think we can confidently say that through 11 games in the season right now. I think Stutzman might be a little bit more valuable than Billy just from the standpoint of Danny as the captain of that defense. He's responsible for getting the calls in, getting everybody lined up on time. Uh, but make no mistake about it. When you've, got a, when you've got, you know, two of your best players, one at the linebacker position, one at the strong safety position, if Oklahoma can figure out a way to get those guys to come back, going into year one of the SEC – we know that we're going to lose some guys up front in the trenches, but, you know, through this transfer portal, I think that, you know, we're going to bring in at least one, maybe two guys that can come in and help right away. Jane Jackson, David Stowe, uh, Stone, Nigel Smith, they're going to be part of the uh, football team next year. Now, you don't want to be relying on true freshmen to be, you know, key contributors uh, up front on the uh, defensive line once you make it into the SEC, playing that schedule week in and week out. but. Um, If Oklahoma can convince Stutzman and Billy Bowman to come back for one more year, I think that that gives you a lot of not just momentum going into next season, but it gives you a lot of, um, I don't know if consistency is the right word, but it gives you a lot of continuity because you know that those are the two guys that can take care of the back end of this defense, but also be responsible for getting those guys in the front seven lined up and put in the right gaps where we need to go.
1: I want to ask you about two other guys uh, on each side of the ball that maybe they they have eligibility left. So we'll see if they return to OU for Mm -hmm. another season. But um, you talk about Billy Bowman and and Danny Stutzman, two guys that have been really instrumental in the uh, goal line stands that this defense has faced. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. whether it be the the 100-yard pick six or the goal line stand against West Virginia or Texas or even UCF, uh, that kind of didn't count. But Mm -hmm. we all know that it really should have been if if Jaron Kanek's penalty hadn't occurred and so you, you look at those different goal line stands, those two guys being huge pieces of that. Um, yeah, I think you definitely want to, you want to pay out what you can to get both of them returning. I think, I think we're mm-hmm. feeling like Danny Stusten probably will come back. Billy Bowman's going to be a lot tougher. Uh, I don't sure. know. There's going to be many safeties that are, are going to be higher on the draft board than he is. So mm-hmm. he's going to have a really interesting decision there, but um, they've been great pieces uh, of this defense here. That's really, if you look at the numbers in the red zone, OU's, basically taking twenty-five percent of those drives Mm -hmm. away and saying you're just you're getting zero points out of those, which is um, really impressive from a defense that it looks so much better than what we're used to. But man, it's just the foundation. Like there's so much more (sighs) to go.
0: And Adam, I think you make a really good point. And this is something that Brent kind of touched on a little bit in his press conference yesterday when when you look at Billy Bowman, and I think both he and and Danny are playing at an all-American type level, they both better be first-team All Big 12 uh, once the awards get released a little bit later at the conclusion of next week. Uh, but something when when you look at the the draft evaluations, and you look at you know the the NFL draft, especially on the defensive side of the football, um, I, sh- I should have did a little bit more research, found out what the statistic was. But at the conclusion of each NFL draft, they go up a they go down a list of players drafted on both the offense and defensive side of the football and what conference they belong to. Now, I know that Billy is playing at an All-American type level. He's going to get drafted regardless. Same same goes with Danny Sussman. But you would have to think, you come back to Oklahoma for one more year, in year three playing under Brent Venables, you're only going to get better. You're only going to get bigger, faster, stronger. But you're able to throw a year's worth of game tape where you've got that SEC patch on on your uniform and you're able to put up some uh, some uh, some film out there and some highlights going up against the best competition week in and week out in college football I think that that could possibly do nothing but raise the draft stock for all for both of those guys because as we see here right now are we confident in in both of them being you know first round maybe even second round type picks I don't think I am at this point in this scenario depending on how they test at the NFL combine but if you can convince both of these guys to come back for another year under Brent Venables, the defense should be better collectively. Recruiting is getting better. They're, we know that they're going to make more splashes in the transfer portal. I think that um, obviously it's going to be tough turning down millions of dollars, but I think that Oklahoma could be aggressive with their NIL collectives and putting together some, you know, pretty rich, some pretty, uh, pretty full packages uh, to be able to get these guys, you know, fully compensated while they play in Norman for one more season
1: those guys taking away 25% of scoring opportunities at the goal line there or in the red zone rather uh, you know who else is taking 25% off it's Red and West <laughs> 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 Got to love that segue I got an email from uh, from Will over at Red and West um great partners of ours here at the Main Line and uh, he let me know that everything on their website is 25% off through Christmas. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't even need a promo code. So uh, the hat code. that I'm wearing, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, it was worn by Barry Switzer in his last game on the OU sidelines. So um, some cool retro gear over there, some great pullovers, some polos, uh, and not just OU uh, got SMU, mm-hmm. they've got OSU, they've got Texas tech, they've got uh, Virginia tech. I think they've got Iowa in there as well. So if you know some fans um, makes a great Christmas gift or treat yourself to a nice little gift there 25% <laughs> off.
0: We are 34 days until Christmas, so if you need some last-minute shopping ideas, if you need some stocking stuffers, head on over to Red West, uh, 25% off. And also, I know the football season's winding down. Yes, that's a little bit of a sad thing, but also, you look at what Oklahoma's doing on the hardcore, both the men's and women's basketball, both getting off to a hot start. Diamond Sports is on the horizon. You need to get dressed up. You need to look the part when you're attending some of these games at the Lloyd Noble Center or at Eldale Miller Park or at the newly built, uh what is going to be for the OU softball stadium go out there get fitted make some of these purchases over at Wed and West uh and you know kind of swag up look the part when you go out and cheer SEC on the ready get SEC ready by shopping at <laughs> Red and West 25 percent off between now and Christmas go stock up make it happen
1: okay two more guys on each side of the ball I want to ask you about Jaleel Farouk everyone's talking about him will he come back to me that seems like so crazy like Why would he not come back there? I I guess he could be like a fifth round draft pick, but seriously, like, I I don't know. I don't see it. I I feel like he, he's a guy that needs to come back. He needs to have like a thousand yards, uh, season. He needs to be more of a feature guy. He needs to be more dominant. Uh, he's, he's consistent. He's good, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. Just not like too many. Wow. Things going on. Honestly,
0: Adam, if you would have given me a list, uh, maybe, Seven or eight guys that Oklahoma was seriously going to be in consideration for losing next year. I really wouldn't have thought that Jaleel Farouk would have been anywhere near the top of that list, just because I think I think going into next season he has to come back for one more year. I, I know that he's had a really good season. He's put up some nice numbers, uh, and you know he's had his share of impact plays throughout the season. But w- when you look at what Oklahoma's going to have coming back next season, and it, for me it all starts with Jackson Arnold and the arm talent that he has, being able to distribute the football. If you're Jaleel Farouk, why would you not want to come back? for one final season playing in the sec raise your draft stock even more you know dylan gabriel has done a really nice job over the last two seasons distributing the football but from everything that we've seen and from everything that we've heard with some conversations behind closed doors jackson arnold's going to be able to do some things throwing the football that simply oklahoma's offense hasn't had maybe since going all the way back pre uh you know pre-jalen Hurts, even to the kyler murray baker mayfield type days so Uh, If you're Jalil Farouk, I think that you have to, you know, seriously consider coming back for one more season, playing in this offense. And, Adam, tell me if I'm wrong here, but Drake Stoops is going to be playing his last football game in an Oklahoma uniform on Owen Field on Saturday. So if you're Jalil Farouk, does it not make sense, especially when you know that you're going to have Jaden Gibson and Nick Anderson coming back next year? To me, it seems like Jalil Farouk would be a prime candidate to slide inside into that position and make, make some of those tough, uh, tough competitive plays over the middle of the field, because he's got the speed. He's got yeah. the build for it. Let's, let's, you know, let's raise the ceiling a little bit. No pun intended. Let's get some more size out on the perimeter. I think Jalil Farouk could possibly be one hell of a guy to slide in there and fill Drake's shoes.
1: I don't know if he has the feel for the routes the way, I mean, nobody really does that Drake does. Um, that, that's so, a
0: skill. That's hard to see. Yeah. Teach.
1: Yeah. It, so I wonder about that, but I do think that, yeah, he might be more effective there because Jaden Gibson's turning into a deep threat. Andrew yep. Anthony's coming back. That's a deep threat. So I think that opens up a lot more for the short medium uh, middle of the field game that, that Farouk likes to live in. So I think I agree with you there. How about another offensive guy, Andrew Raym? He, I, I don't know necessarily that like he's, it's the NFL for him necessarily, but he has been in college for a long time. Any chance that maybe this is his last game? I don't
0: think so. I think he comes back for one more season. I mean, yeah. and plus he has there, – there's a long enough track record with guys that have been part of Oklahoma's roster, particularly on the offensive and defensive lines, that have thought that they were ready to go to the NFL. And while I think that Andrew, if he did make the decision to forego his last remaining season at Oklahoma to go to the NFL, you know, I think he could make a team. But when you look out there and you watch the, you watch the product on the field on Sundays, do we think that Andrew Rame is in the same caliber as Creed Humphrey? who's a starting center in the NFL. Nobody As, is. <laughs> no, nobody is. But you watch the games, you watch how these teams play on Sundays. I don't think that Andrew Rain is quite at that level to where it's a safe enough bet to forgo your, your final year of eligibility to get the NFL. Um, so, yeah, I think he should be one that uh, that comes back for next season. Let me flip it over to you. or Give me your thoughts on that.
1: Um, I I just say, quietly, I think Rames had a really good year. He's not one that gets talked about very much, unless he's had, like, maybe two or three bad snaps throughout the season, Mm -hmm. but other than that, like, really quiet. Nobody nobody really complains about him anymore, Mm -hmm. which uh, kudos to him for that.
0: Center, much like playing corner, if you're not getting talked about on the radio or the TV broadcast, you're probably playing pretty well. So... Let me flip it over to the defensive side of the football Adam. Let me throw one more name out there at you as one that's going to have a decision to make once Oklahoma wraps up this 2023 campaign. With where Oklahoma's heading going into the SEC, where the line of scrimmage play dictates the outcome of these games more often than not, what about a guy like DeJon Terry, the transfer from Tennessee who's had a really, really good season in Oklahoma? I believe he, too, has another year of eligibility should he choose to come back to Norman. Is he one that seems like is a pretty good candidate to come back? Do you think he's got his eyes already set on the NFL and declaring early?
1: I, I don't think his playing time's been low or anything this year, but man, you're going to have an even bigger spotlight to, uh, to shine with some of the names that he's going to lose on the interior there. So yeah, I think he, I, I feel like he'd want to get back uh, playing the SEC again, mm-hmm. an opportunity to, uh, um, to build his draft stock. Cause I don't think it's, I'd say he's probably fifth or lower um, draft grade at this sure. point. Um, sure. And I think I would say the same for Trace Ford. As far as I can tell, I think he still has one year of eligibility. Um, but I did want to ask you about him. And also you just like Dejon Terry that didn't start their careers at OU, but have been in college for a little while. So any any concern about either of those guys potentially? Because there's there's always at least one surprise, I feel like. And maybe maybe Trace yeah. Ford and maybe Key Lawrence are guys that could grad transfer. They both play a lot, but maybe they want an even bigger role somewhere or they feel like they're not quite a fit or not a part of the future plans. I, I don't know if maybe they could leave for another reason as well.
0: It's an interesting scenario for both of them because ultimately, you know, they've both been in college a long time. They've played uh, an insane number of snaps in college football throughout the course of their career, but it almost kind of, you almost kind of get a sense of if you're Brent Venables and you're talking to both of these guys, like, yes, there is an opportunity for you to come back. But with what Oklahoma's done on the recruiting trail, each of the last two cycles with what they've got coming in next season. I mean, just sticking with Trace Ford, yes, as good as he has been, but this is a time where, you know, a guy like PJ Adebayorde should be taking those snaps away from him. A guy like R. Mason Thomas should be getting a bulk of those snaps. So I don't think if you're Trace Ford coming back into next season, there's a serious situation, and throw Ethan Downs into the mix as well. If you're Trace Ford, I'm not sure coming back next year, if you're going to be in, you know, the top one, maybe even two-man rotation just simply because Oklahoma is doing a really good job of building these classes, it almost you almost kind of get the sense that, you know, Trace Ford and Key Lawrence is another one example where you're kind of getting recruited over with what Oklahoma and Brandon Hall specific, specifically has done, you know, building up the uh, that safety room, the back end of this defense. Peyton Bowens, another guy, we've talked about it all all season long. I shared it on Twitter earlier uh, on Saturday. Why 12 continues to get snaps? I just simply don't know uh, with what Oklahoma has in the back end of that defense already. And if you can get if you can get um, Billy Bowman to come back for one more year, then to me, if if I'm if I'm Key Lawrence. I don't see any way that you're going to the NFL. I'm sorry, dude. Like you're a really good football player, but I think that um, you probably should stick around to Norman for one more year, be a role player, be a guy that can come in and make some plays, uh, and be a good depth piece. But I don't think he's I don't think he's going to the NFL anytime soon.
1: Do you want to touch on seniors, or, or do you want to talk about just TCU preview, and maybe we we talk seniors after? Yeah,
0: we can, we can touch, we can touch on seniors, but let's kind of dive into it beginning. Cause obviously the pregame senior day festivities, that's going to be going on before the game. So yeah, we can talk seniors, Adam, go ahead.
1: Yeah. I mean, just obviously a special moment and game for Drake Stoops. Uh, obviously he's going to get a, a great fanfare and um, a guy that I mean, he's right up there with Baker in, in my book, as far as just like quintessential sooner, um, someone that mm-hmm. the fans can just truly latch onto and go like, this is our guy he grew up a sooner. he, Became a Sooner, he walked on. I mean, he doesn't get much better than a walk on, um, and I know he's he's the coach's son and everything, but um, well earned, well deserved, and um, and doesn't take anything for granted. Works incredibly hard for everything that that he's gotten, and so um, I mean, the dude's just having an incredible final year in Norman. So I don't I don't know much else I can say um, about that, but um I, i'm sure he'll get a big big honor as well and i hope dylan gabriel can get the same opportunity as well there's there's a lot of fans out there that are just so emotional uh, emotionally invested in jackson arnold that they can't see straight they can't think straight um they're unfortunately missing out on a great season from dylan gabriel a guy that's going to be pretty much uh, not probably not unanimous all big 12 but uh, pretty close. There's really not another contender there, and it's a shame that I don't think he's going to play uh, against TCU. I think that's too soon to come back from a concussion, especially a second one, so a All little right. disappointing there, but I hope that OU fans give him his proper due uh, in the stadium because I'm sure he'll still be honored. And
0: and we put that out on Twitter yesterday. You know, Ultimately, doesn't sound like uh, Dylan. Chances are very good that he is going to be playing on Friday afternoon against TCU. We were obviously you know, we were kind of pinpointing that game because that was the game last season where you know he he got taken he got knocked out of the game as a cheap shot by a TCU linebacker. You know, it's kind of par for the course with that program uh, at the linebacker position going up against Oklahoma. But um, Dylan is a guy that one is super underappreciated. He doesn't get the credit that he deserves with the performance that he's had at, at Oklahoma. So even if he doesn't play on Saturday you would hope that there would at least be a standing ovation. He would get the recognition that he deserves for what he's done in Oklahoma because when when you look at Oklahoma and, you know, you talk about, you know, elite quarterback plays and, you know, Dylan, while he's not on the same level as a Kyler or a Baker or Caleb or Jalen, he's still a damn good collegiate quarterback. And he's going to go down in history, Adam, and you just look at the OU-Texas game as a whole. When people talk about Oklahoma, when they talk about OU-Texas, that's a play, that final minute and 17 drive where he, you know, hits Nick Anderson in the end zone to win it for Oklahoma, in that setting, in that matchup with everything on the line, that's going to be a play that Oklahoma fans talk about for the next 30, 40, 50 years. I know I'm going to be. That's, you know, certainly something that i remember forever. But the, the last thing that I'll say about Dylan, Oklahoma fans need to appreciate what this kid has done because when shit hit the fan, when Lincoln Riley left, he bolted out the back door in the middle of the night. He took Caleb's, Caleb Williams with him. Oklahoma was essentially put into a position where we didn't know who the quarterback was going to be, and we were able to bring in Dylan Gabriel at the final hour. We thought he was going to be enrolled at UCLA. He pretty much was uh, up until the final hour, and Jeff Label was able to convince him to come back to Norman and you know play his final two years in an Oklahoma uniform. Him being able to bridge that gap from Caleb Williams to Jackson-Arnold I don't think this kid gets enough credit for what he's done. And, you know, uh, ultimately it doesn't look like Oklahoma is going to win a Big 12 championship in the two years that he's been here. But to me, he did his job and exceeded expectations uh, in his time in Norman. So Dylan Gabriel, fans, give him the shout out that he deserved. And you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head with Straight Stoops. You, everybody knows the story. The Norman North wide receiver that was undersized gets the walk-on offer to come to Oklahoma. Then from that point forward, it was all about, okay, well – Look at the name on the back of the jersey. That's why he's there. That's why he's been given that opportunity. The kid worked his ass off. He, he, You know, he talked about being up there 14, 16 hours a day. He he got everything that he deserved because he worked his tail off and he made the most of his opportunity. And like you said, the Baker treatment, Drake Soups is going to go down as being one of the most beloved Sooners in recent memory in OU history. And you look at it statistically, Adam, Drake has been – one of, if not the best wide receiver in the Big 12 this year. He's not the most athletic. You know, he, he doesn't make the super flashy plays like an Xavier Worthy does or Rashad Owens at Oklahoma State, but the kid makes football plays. He's tough as nails, and he's a guy that you want going to bat with you uh, when you're going down a dark alley, uh, and you've got to have somebody to fight with you, like Evan Jones says. So we're going to miss you, Drake. Uh, let's put together one more final uh, awesome performance in an Oklahoma uniform and on Owen Field on Saturday morning – or Friday morning, excuse me.
1: And I'll give another shout out to McCade Matoyer, a guy that uh, pretty much all offseason, I was begging for anybody to unseat him. Uh, He's definitely (laughs) earned my respect, even before the ejection against West Virginia. Another guy that you want on your side in a dark alley. Um, Just a guy that, you know, he showed out this year um, from his Mm -hmm. leadership, Mm -hmm. from his effort, um, his his play on the field. It's it's all been um, really great to see that. And so. Um, he's absolutely earned my respect. I was dead wrong about him uh, coming into the yep. season. So. Yes, you were, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. I just want to – obviously I've been shouting him out the last couple of weeks, but um, he's definitely deserving of of a great spotlight moment uh, on Friday mm-hmm. as well. Um, yep. Let's talk a little bit about TCU on uh, on offense, a team that uh, we thought we might get, you know, OU. Former OU quarterback Chandler Morris, but it's it's Josh Hoover at this point, and they've got a lot of talent. TCU's got tons of talent, just hasn't come together for them. They're fighting for their bowl life at this point. But uh, mm-hmm. let's let's talk offensively. What should OU sp- expect from the Horn Frogs?
0: Uh, well, Adam, this is a football team. TCU coming in on the year with a five and six record, three and five overall in the Big Twelve Conference. You go down some of the wins and losses of this team. You know, just, just in Big 12 play, they, they've they got the wins on the road at Houston. They knocked off Baylor by 30-plus, team that Oklahoma just struggled with a week ago. They've got the win over Baylor, probably the best, most consistent performance that they've had as a team a week ago. So just kind of like what we talked about two weeks ago with West Virginia, they're playing their best football of the season coming into Norman. So it, it's it's going to be a nice test for Oklahoma. When you go back and you look at some of the, uh, the common opponents uh, that TCU has shared with Oklahoma over the course of the season. Uh, Oklahoma knocked off Iowa State, okay? TCU lost to Iowa State. Uh, Texas or Texas was the one that Oklahoma was able to beat in the final minutes of the game. TCU was in that game. Yes, they were down 26-6, to I believe, at one point in the game, but they cl- crawled their way back uh, and was able to make that a, a one-score game with a, ha- honestly having a chance to win it in the final minutes of that game up in Fort Worth. But when you look at what TCU likes to do offensively, coming into the season, all the hype, everything was was being talked about, the succession plan going from Max Duggan to Chandler Morris. And, you know, Chandler Morris was, you know, kind of battling a little bit of an injury bug for the better part of most of the season. In comes Josh Hoover, the redshirt freshman quarterback. And this kid really – Chandler Morris is healthy. But Josh Hoover's a guy that they're just simply giving the keys to the car to and saying, hey, take this thing and run with it. And Josh Hoover's been a guy – you go back and watch him, you know, through the course of this season. He's made some nice plays. He's not a guy that, um, mobility-wise, he's not the most athletic guy in the world. He's going to choose to stay in the pocket nine times out of ten instead of, you know, trying to get out him and, and, you know, create some plays with his legs. But he's a guy completing uh, just a hair over 63% of his passes. 11 touchdowns, eight interceptions on the year. Um, he's played, I believe, in seven games this season, and he, he and he's had a turnover in all but one of those games. So. Uh, it, it's going to be a nice test for Oklahoma because, Adam, looking at what Oklahoma's done defensively for, throughout the last few weeks of the season, there really hasn't been a team that's been able to test Oklahoma's secondary quite like the way that TCU and Josh Hoover's going to be able to do. Obviously, BYU wasn't able to do it. Garrett Green at West Virginia wasn't able to do it. We saw a little bit uh, of how bad it can be when you're you know, you're not playing good solid football. Uh, you know, from uh, Alan Bowman at Oklahoma State, from John Rice Plumey at UCF, they were able to take advantage of some some deficiencies and some poor play from this Oklahoma secondary. And I think that Josh Hoover's a guy that can fully exploit Oklahoma secondary. If if they can't get after the quarterback, can't create a pass rush, the, uh, the secondary can't hold up in coverage, then make no mistake about it. I think the TCU has the weapons offensively to be able to make this a four-quarter game against Oklahoma on Saturday. You look at what they do at the, at the skill position talent, starting at running backs. Imani Bailey, a guy coming into the season where there was so much talk about Trey Sanders, the the transfer coming in from Alabama. He got hurt earlier this season, and Imani Bailey's a guy coming in. He's got over 1,000 yards uh, so far on the season, seven touchdowns. He's averaging over five yards a carry. This is a guy that's got the quickness. He's a track star. He can make a big play. He's a home run type threat anytime. He's got the ball in his hands. So uh, Oklahoma was kind of tore up by BYU a week ago in stopping the run. Like I said, 217 yards, the defense gave up. So if Oklahoma can't tighten things up, you know, um, be more assertive, know where where to to fit those gaps in the running game, then make no mistake about it. TCU could have an opportunity to run wild on Saturday. But, Adam, I'll throw this over to you because this is my biggest concern. When you look at Oklahoma's defense against TCU's offense and stylistically – why this is a matchup that I think could potentially favor uh, TCU in the passing game, and that's the health of Oklahoma at the cornerback position. Gentry Williams was a guy. He traveled to Provo a week ago. He went through warm by, by every, you know, ever since the imagination, the way that he looked and the way that he moved around on Saturday, you thought that he was good to go, but he didn't play. And so that put us in a situation where we had a nice, you know, steady rotation uh, of uh, of Kanai Walker, um, and then the, the freshman number, number twenty three. You know, two guys that are going to have their fair share of opportunities to make plays in Oklahoma uniform, but they're just not there yet physically uh, to to be able to play, you know, lockdown corner at this level. So we hope that Gentry Williams comes back this week because with what with what TCU is bringing to Norman at the wide re- wide receiver position for me, uh, the big one that it starts with uh, is number three Davion Williams, six foot five, two hundred twenty five pounds dynamic player when he's got the ball in his hands after the catch. He's averaging just a hair under 14 yards per catch. He's a guy that they do all sorts of thing, things with him at him. They throw him out wide. They move him into the slot. They'll even go wildcat with him in a sense when they need to pick up some short yardage plays. So, uh, Savion Williams is one. Jalen Robinson is another deep play threat. Many Oklahoma fans that follow this team religiously. Uh, TCU's got a player in number uh, – I believe he's number seven, John Paul Richardson who's the transfer from Oklahoma State. He had five catches a year ago against Oklahoma in Bedlam, so you know that he's going to be excited and going to be up for this one. And then, Adam, the biggest mismatch of them all. With there being so much uncertainty about the health of this Oklahoma secondary, Billy Bowman's going to be good to go. Woody's good. Is Peyton Bowen going to be back to 100% this weekend? Is Gentry going to be back to 100%? This is a game with what TCU has schematically what they like to do in favoring the tight end position, getting some mismatch. Uh, with Jared Wiley, this is the biggest question mark for me. And if I'm if I'm uh, Brent Venables this weekend, this is this is what's going to have me scratching my head, keeping me up all night because Jared Wiley, they do a lot of things with this kid. He is everything that we would that we wish our tight end room would be, because he has the ability to line up on the line of scrimmage and you know be a uh, uh, be a contributor, you know, a blocker in the running game. But he is a mismatch. He is a nightmare trying to cover. Uh, in the secondary because he's extremely athletic. He's got a long, tall, wide frame, can make all the catches. Uh, and he's a guy, Adam, that he's coming off of his best game uh, in a TCU uniform a week ago against Baylor where he had over 150 yards receiving, a couple of touchdowns. I'll be very interested to see how Oklahoma tries to um, schematically, how they try to prevent and cover this guy. Uh, because if you can't get after the quarterback on Sunday, if you can't make Josh Hooper's life a living hell, then he has all the pieces around him to give this Oklahoma defense fits on, on Friday.
1: Yeah. I, I don't, am not holding my breath on Peyton Bowen contributing more than he is now or Gentry Williams, just because these guys um, are, they seem to be nagging injuries. They just can't quite kick. Yep. And Gentry Williams, unfortunately, is great when he's out there, but he has been so you know in and out of the lineup that we mm-hmm. um, just can't really count on his availability now. Danny Stutzman, we expect him to be fully healthy. No more food poisoning in the works there, so <laughs> yeah, um, so that should help uh, tremendously, maybe even a little bit with the pass rush. Um, but again, it's a trend with this defense that like I- I'm just not sure that I-, I trust them to to have the pass rush needed to. Uh, really slow down this uh, this TCU office that has a ton of weapons Mm -hmm. I think we're more reliant on hey you know they're gonna continue to um, not you know look down and and when things don't go their way but they're gonna buckle up when it matters Mm -hmm. most and they're gonna um, provide the effort and take advantage of a young quarterback and Josh Hoover that um, you know he'll make some mistakes he has played a lot he's played well and sometimes he's he's not played well in other times so um, I Just look for this defense to be to opportunistic. Um, they're not going to win every battle, but sure. um, at the end of the day, you know, make more plays than they give up uh, is what I'm looking for for there. The, the-, the good
0: the good part about this for Oklahoma is they ca- they came off a performance up in Provo where they struggled defensively for the better part of four quarters, and you combine that with the fact that Josh Hoover in TCU he played his best game in a purple uniform all season long. He threw for 431 yards against Baylor, over 530 yards of total offense. Yes, I know it's Baylor. They're probably the worst team in the Big 12. But when you've got a guy as young as he is, you know, I, I still, I, it still doesn't matter to me. It's power five football. and Being able to complete 24 of 29 passes for 412 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, playing clean football, that's going to give this kid a lot of confidence going on the road to Norman. And what's probably going to be the most ruckus atmosphere that this kid's ever played in front of, we'll touch on that here in a little bit, as far as what expectations are for this Oklahoma fan base on Friday. Uh, but yeah, I think this is going to be a really nice test for Oklahoma's defense. And this is kind of a, uh, this is going to be a put up or shut up game. And this is one where you need as much, you need as many of your guys back fully healthy because it needs to be all hands on deck to stop this TCU offense.
1: On offense uh, for OU versus the TCU defense. My expectation is it's Jackson Arnold time. I, I don't think Dylan Gabriel is going to be able to make it back from the injury. unfortunately, no. Um, we know there's lots of talent on this TCU defense as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Gary Patterson left uh, some good pieces there to work with. They've still got some of those left, but um, you know, what are you expecting from the Horned Frogs defensively?
0: Pretty much, pretty much the same thing that we've grown accustomed to when when this uh, when these two teams get together. TCU is going to be a defense that's going to be very aggressive. They're only going to put three down linemen uh, on the line of scrimmage. Now, even though they're only rushing, even though they're only rushing three, they've got some pretty Pretty big boys. Uh, obviously, they've got two two really good, you know, 310 plus pounders that they rotate at the nose tackle position. Uh, you know, 97, 99, 52 is another one uh, that can make things hectic. This is going to be big. This is going to be a big matchup for Oklahoma's interior offensive line. Caden Green, Andrew Raymond, Caden Matar. This is going to be one where communication is going to be, uh, you know, a pivotal focal point for Jeff Levy's offense on Saturday because. While they only line up three guys on the line of scrimmage, they do a lot of things with their linebackers, a lot of things with their secondaries, where they'll bring them up to the line of scrimmage. And you've got to be able to communicate. And, you know, once the ball is snapped, be able to truly pass, you know, pass rushers off to one another because they like to disguise a lot of things. They'll send multiple linebackers. They'll send one, one safety for sure, maybe even a corner throughout certain parts of the game. So Jack uh, Jackson Arnold's going to be key from him, identifying where the pressure is going to be coming from, you know, getting his guys in the right protection schemes uh, for Oklahoma on Saturday. And I think that even though this is a football team that's five and six, Adam, I think that TCU from a schematic standpoint, but also from an, an athletic standpoint, they have the tools to be able to give Jackson Arnold fifth on Saturday and what's going to be his first true start in Oklahoma uniform. A couple players that Oklahoma fans need to be aware of on Saturday. Both of them are at the linebacker position. Uh, starts with number four, Nnamdi Obiazor. I hope I got that right. Apologize if I didn't. This is a guy, he's a converted safety, made the transition down into the box, playing the linebacker position. He leads the team in tackles, and he also leads the team in sacks. So uh, number four is one to keep an eye on. And then number six, a guy that's played a lot of football in a TCU uniform, that's Jamoy Hodge, guy, extremely athletic, first guy off the bus type of field, looks fantastic in the uniform. Um, TCU is going to be very aggressive on Saturday. Make no mistake about it, you've got a true freshman quarterback making his first start. TCU has nothing to lose, no pressure, and then also you combine that with the fact that TCU is going to be vying for uh, bowl eligibility on Friday when they play when they play against Oklahoma. So even though you're out of Big 12 contention, you're out of college football playoff contention, still having the opportunity to go to a bowl game with those seniors to get the extra bowl practice and prep, uh, that's something that TCU is going to fight like hell for on Friday. Um, it's going to be a tough test for Oklahoma. I'm excited for it, though.
1: It sounds like you're gearing us up here for a uh, TCU wins prediction. So let's go ahead and dive into score predictions. I'll, I'll keep uh, I'll keep the listeners what's the, hanging.
0: What's the spread on
1: this, Adam? The I, last I saw was nine and a half. Um, I'll keep the listeners in suspense a little bit here on, uh, on what your score prediction is. So I'll go first. I've got OU 27, TCU 23. I think, again, we talked about this defense being opportunistic, taking advantage of of the situation here. And so I think there's gonna be just enough plays on the defense to uh, to hold TCU, especially in the red zone, like we've seen uh, this defense do at, at many times throughout the year. Um, I don't necessarily know that OU is going to have the smoothest performance on offense, even though Jackson Arnold will have a full week of preparation, but I think you'll still see some freshman mistakes. Everyone will completely forget those and they'll only remember the one wow throw or two wow throws that he has and, go, and just say, yep, yeah, we told you all along he's better than Dylan Gabriel because... Those fans are irrational at this point. Um, there's no way to win uh, with them. There's no way to use logic yeah. or, or anything on that. But um, I think Jackson Arnold will, will do just enough. I think Gavin Solchuk's coming on at just the right time uh, to really help out a true freshman quarterback because Jackson Arnold will need some help. Uh, but I think being at home, having the home crowd behind you, TCU will be fighting for their bowl life, but I think OU has enough to pull out a close victory there by four points. What do you got, Tyler?
0: Yeah, I'm kind of going with the uh, the same four-point spread as you. It looks like FanDuel right now line on this instead of OU minus nine and a half, over-under on this matchup currently sitting at 63 and a half. Honestly, if I had to make a play on the game betting-wise, I'd probably take the over in this matchup than trying to mess around with the spread. I think that this, this is going to be a much closer football game than many people think, Adam. Uh, and I'm not saying that that has anything to do with, you know, foreshadowing Jackson Arnold struggling or anything like that. Uh, I think he's going to be able to make his fair share of plays. I think that his best friend this weekend is going to be the running game with Gavin Sawchuk continuing to ride the, you know, three straight games of 100-plus yards. Tommy Walker, we hope that that ankle is a little bit healthier uh, for this matchup. I think that this is going to be a game, Adam, where it does kind of hover around that 63 total. Um, And I'm going to pick Oklahoma to win this game 35-31 over TCU.
1: Okay. Nice. So that brings Interesting us- stat
0: for you, though. Interesting stat for you. TCU is one and seven against the spread as a road underdog. Oklahoma currently five and one against the spread, and their last six is a home favorite. So, Vegas, betting odds, I mean, they clearly feel some type of way. Uh, they think that Oklahoma is going to cover that nine and a half number. It's just too close I, for
1: me. I would, I would love to see it. That takes us to our, our best bets for the week. Tyler, you've got a commanding, uh, I think three and a half, four, four and a half game lead on me at this yeah. three and a half game lead. Uh, so I, I was almost ready. to the point where I was like, maybe I should just pick the opposite of all your games at this point. But I think I'll <laughs> save that for next week. Hope that I can keep it within a couple games, maybe close the gap a little bit. Uh, but it nice. looks like you have a, a nice lead there. So um, you're up first uh, with your best bet of the week.
0: Yeah, this is uh, this is hands down been the best betting performance that I've had on this podcast, uh, so knock on wood, we'll keep this thing rolling to close out the regular season. Pick number one for me, Adam, going out to the Pac-12 Conference, Colorado traveling up to Salt Lake City, a place that we just left. Utah currently favored by 21.5 against the Buffaloes. And, Adam, Colorado, I think at this point, their bowl eligibility, there's 0% chance of that happening. If you watched their game against Washington State a week ago, we were watching it in the hotel room Uh, You know, right before we fell asleep, before the OU-BYU game. I I think the Colorado's simply given up. They've got the worst offensive line that I think I've ever seen in the Power 5 level. Shadur Sanders probably just got sacked again. You combine that with the fact that Utah's playing at home. They've got the momentum. They've got a really, really stout defense led by that front seven. To me, this almost feels too obvious, but I'm going to go with Utah to cover the 21-and-a-half.
1: Nice. My number one, Iowa at Nebraska. I almost picked Iowa plus two and a half here. And I thought, what am I doing? Don't overthink this. Do the bread and butter. Do what's, <laughs> I think, uh, I think it's something like 10 and one on the year is, is the under in Iowa games. So uh, it's the lowest, lowest over under in history. It's 26 and a half. I feel like it's going to correct itself at some point. It keeps going down, but I, I got to stick to my guns here. Under on 26 and a half. <laughs>
0: I like it. Pick number two for me going out to the SEC. Going to the Iron Bowl out in Auburn. I kind of, I originally wanted to stay away from this game because Auburn just got humiliated by a group of five team a week ago. Uh, losing by, you know, t- uh, three scores, I believe is what it was, at home. Now you've got Alabama coming into uh, Jordan-Hare Stadium. Crimson Tide favored by 14 and a half. And yes, it is a rivalry game. Throw the records out the window. Emotions are going to be high, but the fan base is going to be jacked up. But I'm gonna keep it simple here. Alabama's probably playing like the second best team in the country right now. So for that reason, I think Alabama goes on the road and covers the fourteen and a half number.
1: Nice. My number two, Oregon State at Oregon, a rivalry game, potentially an OSU OU type of situation going on here where yeah. we don't know when the next time these teams are gonna play. Oregon State's really good still, in my opinion. And so I think they'll be able to keep it within 13 and a half there. I've got the, uh, the Beavers, uh, in the civil war there, at least
0: covering the spread.
1: Not necessarily. I like it.
0: I like it. Pick number three for me. I'm going to say in the PAC 12 as well. Arizona tra- going out to Tempe to take on the sun devils of Arizona state, Arizona, Adam, probably one of the hottest teams in America right now. They're actually still in contention for the PAC 12 championship game. If Oregon state can knock off the ducks on Saturday, Arizona would slide right in there and take on Washington. Um, arizona man their offense is humming they're firing on all cylinders right now I'll give me the wildcats to cover six and a half in the first half on saturday against arizona state
1: nice that's that's a pretty good one i'm going to durham north carolina pitt at duke here i'm trusting the blue devil defense to give me a minus six and a half here uh, i think there'll be too much for for pitt and that uh backup quarterback that started uh, christian uh Verlue, i believe uh, who started about halfway through the year? Um, I just like what Mike Elko's done with this team. Uh, you know, offensively, I'm not sure what to expect, but I think they'll have enough to really, um, you know, put their offense in really good positions against a struggling Pitt offense. So, give me the Blue mm-hmm. Devils. I like
0: it. Pick number four for me. Going out to another rivalry game, Adam Georgia going up to Atlanta to take on Georgia Tech. And Adam, this is another one where it seems like it's just simply too obvious. It's too good to be true. But at the end of the day, this is the best team in the country. I know that Alabama's on deck the following weekend in Atlanta for the SEC championship game, but Georgia's gonna go out there, they're gonna put this, they're gonna put it on him early, they're gonna put this thing away. It's gonna be over at halftime. Give me the Bulldogs to cover thirteen and a half. First half against the Yellow Jackets.
1: That's a good one. My next one here, Texas A&M <laughs> at LSU. I'm taking the over on 66 and a half. This is another one where, where betting lines have basically said that anytime LSU over under, they've been really good. I don't know if it's completely undefeated, but it's pretty close on the uh, on the over throughout the year. So, over on 66 and a half.
0: I like it pick number 5 for me. It's the game of the week in college football. It is the game. It's going to be taking place in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Ohio State going on the road to take on the Wolverines. Michigan, they're without John Harbaugh. J.J. McCarthy is a shell of himself. He's playing his worst. I don't think he's playing very good football at all right now. But is that by design? Is that simply Michigan thinking that all they need to do to win right now is simply simply run the football and we'll save some of this stuff? This will be the J.J. McCarthy coming out party when the Buckeyes come to town on Saturday. This line right now, the half-point hook is one that does give me a little bit of concern. But at the end of the day, I know that John Harbaugh is not coaching. Michigan is the much more physical football team, and I just trust them a little bit more at home this weekend. I've got multiple bets with family members right now. I think that Michigan actually gets this thing done by double digits. So give me the Wolverines to cover the three-and-a-half.
1: You thought you were going to get all power five games out of me. Well, that is not true. (laughs) I'm going to the group of five with my number five pick. I wanted to take the over on this team last week, and then it got taken off the board right before we hit record. It would have gotten me a win. Liberty at UTEP. uh, Flames traveling across the country to El Paso to wrap up their Conference USA season. They've already wrapped up uh, uh, the home field advantage in Conference USA uh, championship game. I'm taking the over on 57 and a half here. I just think this team, uh, Liberty might hit that by themselves. Um, but, um, you know, I think UTEP will find a way to, to contribute to that as well. So give me the Flames, team that really should be the group of five representative in the New York uh, Six uh, Bowl. It shouldn't be a two-loss AAC team uh, or Tulane. Uh, so uh, give yeah. some respect to the Flames. Let's uh, wrap it up here with Big 12 scenarios. Uh, I guess the title championship scenarios, the pathways for you. We talked a lot about last week. So really just a couple minutes here, but it's, it's OSU losing to BYU, which... I know they played OU close, but that seems far-fetched to me, especially when the Cougars are going to travel on the road to Stillwater. I don't think they're a very good team. The other scenario, Texas loses to Texas Tech and Iowa State beats Kansas State, and that would allow OU to, uh, to win the tiebreakers there. I don't, I'm not holding my breath on either of these, though.
0: No, not at all. I think that Oklahoma's best chance of yeah, one of those tiebreaker scenarios happening to get them to Arlington on December 2nd, I, I think that that, that balloon kind of got popped a week ago. Obviously, Houston had an opportunity, you know, having Oklahoma State down 23-9 to and kind of choking that game away. We thought that there was going to be an opportunity for Texas to slip up and aim. They took care of business. Texas playing really good football right now. I just don't think that there's a, there's a scenario in which Texas loses to Texas Tech, but then also on top of that, you're going to expect Iowa State to go on the road to Manhattan and, and knock off K-State. So for me, I'm going to be joining Mormons everywhere this weekend and rooting for the Cougars because that is Oklahoma's only chance of making it the Big 12 championship game. So Mormons, I'll partake in communion. I will do whatever it takes. I'll go buy, I'll go buy a, another gallon of ice cream. Oh, buy uh, the Mormons.
1: By the the undergarments? Undergarments. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> figure, figure out a way to stop Ollie Gordon. We need a poke choke this weekend. Uh, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think that it's going to be Texas and Oklahoma State uh, in Arlington uh, one week from this Saturday. Hope I'm wrong, but Oklahoma finds out, figures out a way to knock off TCU this weekend. That's a 10-win season. You've got the bowl prep uh, to, you know, to kind of put a bow on this uh, Team 129 season. Um, we'll see what happens. Got to win on Friday, or it's uh, completely uh, completely irrelevant what happens on saturday
1: thanks everyone for listening to our podcast this week if you enjoyed it give us five stars uh, wherever you listen to your podcast let us know uh, send us a tweet at the mainline pod and uh, we will see everyone again next week we'll have lots of transfer portal news we'll be talking maybe big 12 championship we'll be talking bowl game uh, potentially after that so we still got a lot to talk about here at the main line and then we'll uh, be talking diamond sports before you know it so thanks everyone for listening and we will see you next week